McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bobby fans, and welcome to PO4 Cards episode 116. Well, a win's a win. We won ugly, but Pompey have got three points to kick off the campaign. During the podcast today's Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? I'm doing well, very well, Hugh. Thank you. Yeah, it was great to actually go to the away game again. My God. It, it was the last time we were at Fleetwood um, two seasons ago. And yeah, I, I, I was surprised I missed that ground. It, that's how much I wanted to go and see Pompey. And the fact that Fleetwood didn't actually score, man, you didn't have to listen to that awful Captain Pugwash goal music or whatever it is. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank God I didn't have to listen to that. My dad had that as his ringtone for a bit and that pissed me off enough. So <laughs> thank God I didn't need to hear it again. you me. He had that as his ringtone? Yeah, that as his ringtone for a bit. He's, a, he's an old man, so uh, I, I don't begrudge him. <laughs> Let's hope he's not listening with that comment, Freddie. <laughs> Andy Mitchmore, how are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, bud. Looking forward to the weekend and, and Tuesday night. Again, being back at Live Sport with, well, a full house, hopefully, at Fratton will be decent. So, yeah, quite envious of of you guys. You went to one away game each this week um, and I've not been able to as yet. So, yeah, buzzing for uh, buzzing for the weekend coming up. Yeah, no, mate, it's going to be great, isn't it? And we're going to meet before the game. I'm going to head down a little bit earlier than usual so we can all link up, have a couple of beers. And the listeners listening, let us know where you're having a pint. Um, if you want to bump into us, have a beer, let us know. So yeah, I'm really excited for the weekend, but that's not what we're talking about straight away. So let's get going. First of all, we're going to review the Fleetwood game. Following on from that, we're going to review the game against Millwall. Then we're going to talk about the spicy transfers that happened the other day. That's right. Pompeo signed two new players in Joe Morrell and Louis Thompson. Let's go. We've got a centre midfield. Then we're going to talk about how many points do you think Pompey should get over the first two home games? And then finally, we've got Steve from the Railway Men podcast to talk us and tell us everything you need to know about the game against Crew. Right, here we go. Freddie, I'm going to lean on you a little bit since you're the Northerner who actually managed to get to the game in the North there. I know people in the in the north call you a southerner, so it must be confusing for you with your sort of geographical identity. It's confusing for me as well. I can't get involved with the southerners, a la la, Chan. I can't. I can't do that, and I can't say no, uh, northerners are dirty so and so's either. So it's all a bit odd. Best of both, or you know, worst of both. Who knows? But let's get into the game. Fleetwood, absolute devastating start before the ball even gets kicked off because Williams gets injured in the warm up. He looks devastated. He goes down the tunnel. And from that point, I was really concerned, Freddie. What's the feeling like in the stands when that happened? Concern after the first five minutes, because Pompey couldn't settle for a long, long period of time. 
fans were Ogilvy in the midfield and thought, oh God, our, our left backs at centre midfield. It turned out he'd never played there in his life and it looked it. He just, he, he did okay for a player who had never played there before in his life, but it was obvious that he's not a centre midfielder. He couldn't turn the ball on the sixpence quickly enough. He wasn't in the right place a lot of the time. And because of that, overall, Fleetwood dominated the first half. Pompey, whenever they got on the ball, were very direct to the wings, mainly, uh, hitting the ball up to the wingers who tried to get a run on the fullback or to Marcus or had me up front because we didn't have a midfield to play through, so we didn't use it. And then whenever Fleetwood got the ball, they closed down Pompey very well. Pompey's movement in the first half, that was the worst thing for me if I had to pick something. But Fleetwood didn't take their chances in the first half when they should have done. I thought they could have been at least a goal up. And um, But yeah, thankfully in the second half, things got much better. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the sort of stats, you know, listening to the game at home and thinking, oh, this is looking a little bit dangerous. And I suppose when you're having only one mid- midfielder in the centre, it's always going to be a little bit like that. You've got to you know, ride your luck. I thought Alex Bass played fairly well. He made some good timely saves in that game. He had that one as well, especially where he, he got across quite well, got down low, pushed it out, and Raggett then came across to block it, which I thought was pretty impressive. That's what you need, a really solid defensive display. And yeah, we rode our luck a little bit, let's be honest. But at the same time, that's how you squeak out a win when you're down only playing with one midfielder. Yeah, exactly. And um, what's more encouraging is, uh, like Danny Cowley said, they definitely grew into the second half. Um, in the second half, the back four knew where they all were. They moved closer to play out from the back a lot better. Tony Cliff got more on the ball and was able to shift uh, shift, the, shift the play one way to the other. And yeah, just in general, Pompey got more, uh, had more composure and grew slowly and slowly. And with the goal, yes, it could have been cleared a number of times by the Fleetwood defence. It was bad defending before that, but Tony Cliff's cross was reasonable. The foot, uh, Brown was on the overlap the, the first time he was in the penalty area in that game because we were under the cosh beforehand. Lovely touch out of his feet and it was a lovely finish, low drive into the corner. And then from there, Pompey just saw it out. But again, Fleetwood, it's strange because in the first half, everybody was not about Fleetwood could have been two or three nil up. I wouldn't go that far. I think um, Callum Morton had the best chance, that chance that was blocked by Sean Raggett. One of their players called Biggins had a header at the back post, which he made a mess of. Another player looks all right for them, Shaden Morris on the right wing. He um, turnstiled Robertson and Brown a few times. He had excellent pitch sense in the way that he was always in the right place for a few through ball and exploded through dribbling. But he had no end product whatsoever, which was thankfully quite good for Pompey. He, he he only had 0.1 XG that entire game, so he didn't create much at all, even though he looked very good. And the XG, Pompey had 1.08 to Fleet was 1.14, according to Scout. So... Basically, even though Fleetwood had more of the play in the first half and arguably deserved to be ahead, Pompey just had really two clear-cut chances and took one of them, whereas Fleetwood didn't. Is it cheeky to say that they flattered to deceive Andy Fleetwood in this game? I don't know if that's a little bit harsh based on the first half. Um, I think I'm I'm cautious to be overcritical when it's the first half of the first game of the season with, at that point, 10 incoming players or 10 players that had come into the matchday squad and half of the centre midfield having not uh, not played in that position before in a competitive match. So, yeah, I I think Fleetwood were likely to start fast having the home fans there um, for the first time in 
what, 10 months or so, or no, eight months or so. I think you've just got to give credit to Pompey for keeping a clean sheet in a game where it would have been really easy not to, rather than sort of saying the fleet were flattered to see. I think credit where it's due in terms of, like you said, Bass had a, a game where he made a number of good saves. I think credit should be given to Sean Raggett, both for, for this game and, and in the Millwall game. He's made one literally goal-blocking or goal-saving tackle or block. Um, I don't know if they're sort of goals prevented stats for defenders, Freddie, like there are for goalkeepers. You're shaking your head. That's unfortunate because, I mean, raggets would be fairly high for the first couple of games of the season, I think. But again, it's about being clinical when you get the opportunities. And yeah, Pompey were just slightly more clinical in terms of, yeah, Lee Brown having a, a decent first touch and then just smashing it far corner. It's just, you know, putting his laces through it, which is what he does best. So yeah, it's a little bit of a steal, but We've heard more about the circumstances of the sort of the week running up to the game for some people in the squad and the circumstances of actually travelling up to the game. I think all things considered, you take that as a, a very good result and you don't dwell on the fact that the first half was a little bit disjointed because that's the case for a, a, a shed ton of teams this week. I mean, I, I, I looked at a number of the teams or a number of sort of the fan responses to, to League One results on the first day of the season and so many teams were saying, oh, first half was dreadful we started so slow you look at other teams who were expected to go up who only scored late to, to even get anything from the game at all and we walked away with with three points from a, a game that you know Fleetwood aren't expected to be up there at the end of the season but it's, it's there are no easy away games in the league really um, so they say you want to win at home and draw away if we start picking up some wins away from home and get them in the bag early doors then um, yeah I think we're certainly in a good position moving forward. So there are lots of positives to take from, from the game. I mean, Hackett Fairchild came on and again, looked pacey which, when he came on, looked dangerous when he came on, which he again consolidated with a performance uh, on, the, um, on the midweek game. Yeah, there, there are a lot of positives to take out of this considering a number of circumstances that really could have tripped us up, I think, on the first game of the season there. I think there's only two more important points but then we covered it entirely. Hackett Fairchild came on and did okay. Um, I think the problem for me with his play was he's not an inside forward. <laughs> he was playing on the right-hand side but he's left-footed. I think he had an issue where he was in the right, exactly the right place but he couldn't shift it onto his stronger foot quick enough. By the time he did that, the chances were gone. And my personal man of the match for the game, Ronan Curtis, simply because he... he I don't know how he was able to play that game considering the personal issue that happened. If for those who don't know, his um, partner had a miscarriage, which was horrible to hear. And he wanted to play the game anyway, gave it absolutely everything. He was spent by the end of the game. That was entirely obvious. Got stuck in the entire time. And after the final whistle, led, led the players to the, fa- to the fans afterwards. And I couldn't credit him anymore for that. No, absolutely. I'm just going to echo what you said there, Freddie. There's not really much more you can say about that point, but, you know, fair play running Curtis, you know, that's that's passion that is. And, you know, he got out, played really well, didn't look distracted in that sense. And you can only applaud him for that, really. Yeah, so we got three points on the board. Decent result. Great celebration as well. You know, I don't know if that was Lee Brown's idea or, you know, with the time I do score. Again, it's the first game of the season. We talked about being a little bit rusty, I was rusty, didn't put my couple of quid bet on Lee Brown. So I missed oh. out on the windfall. <laughs> I don't know when that's going to happen again, let's be honest. So unlucky me, but there you go. These things happen in life. 
But let's move on to the next game. Let's talk about the Millwall game. Incredible atmosphere. 2,000 Pompey fans away at Millwall. It was pretty sparky, but pretty lively. I went for, for a couple of drinks up at London Bridge. There was Pompey fans everywhere. Loads of singing, positivity. It, was, it wasn't sort of... There was no real hostileness when I was around. It was all pretty, pretty party, really. Big away day, everyone loving it. And yeah, I suppose that's what I can say about the, the general feeling of the game. Obviously, let's start in the ground. Pompey fans in absolute voice, loving life a little bit. And then we get that early goal from Rico Hackett Fairchild. Really impressive with it because he sort of comes inside a little bit. And I think the Millwall defenders being right at the start of the game weren't quite expecting him to be quite as direct and take that shot on. And the keeper looks a little bit flat-footed, actually. Again, he wasn't really expecting the shot to come, but don't take that away from Rico. It was a quality strike. Gets his first goal. The only thing I could say is, do a Jeb Wallace. Run up the other end and celebrate in front of the 2,000 Pompey fans who've been there. <laughs> but you know what? He was just really happy to get the goal. So that's how it is. But guys, what did you think about the Millwall game from that perspective? So I'm not just giving a rounded commentary of what happened obviously we didn't win but for me that wasn't really important issue yeah I think if we we're looking bigger picture we're looking more macro here I'd say it was a, a fairly positive evening um in that as you say you get the goal early um I'm I'm thinking the ball moved in the air because the keeper looked like he was sort of caught almost off balance I like went to his right and then the ball went over his left shoulder so I'm thinking the ball must have done something in the air and sort of swerved past him um but yeah you put put your laces through the ball, put power behind it. As everyone knows from the England penalty shootout in the end of the Euros, um, I'm not wearing my, my whale shirt tonight, but um, yeah, everyone knows at the end of that. If you put the power through the ball, you can get some far better results than, you know, a little bit of placement. Um, and yes, I'm assuming the ball moved in the air a bit. Nice to get a goal up. I mean, you you can critique the two goals that were conceded. I think the second one in particular was defensively quite bad um, to give a player the opportunity to run from essentially his his own defensive third through to the Pompey defensive third almost before, you know, without any, not being under any pressure, putting quite an incisive ball into a danger area. I think they'll be fairly disappointed in that, especially in sort of the centre midfield area, just to let him cross the halfway line like that. Um, so, of course, there are going to be things to work on. But at the same time, Millwall put out a pretty strong lineup. There was pretty much their first choice side. Um, Pompey made a couple of changes. The Cowleys are going to be experimenting a little bit, you'd think, early in the season to find their first choice eleven. hopefully a bit sooner than than Jacket never got around to doing, if we're being completely brutally honest about it. And that Pompey lineup, which was, you know, down to 10 men for a decent proportion of the game from quite a poor decision from the referee, held out pretty well. Obviously, Millwall did have more chances than Pompey over the course of the game, but you'd expect that with the league difference if it was 11 against 11. So for Pompey to lose by one goal, 10 against 11, against the team from the, the division above, while still experimenting a little bit, I I really, I really don't think there's a huge amount to be negative about. It obviously would be nice to get a cup run going, but at the same time, if we're going to take lessons from games that we lose, I'd much rather they're in the Carabao Cup or the EFL Cup or whatever, rather than the far more important league games that are coming up thick and fast over the next few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That That is the time to experiment. And it didn't really matter the result. You know, everyone's in, in good spirits. No one really cared in that sense. I don't think that much. But listen, uh, quickly, I was going to touch on some of the, the strikers up front. I thought it had may looked a little bit lost in this game. Marquis as well. 
then again, Pompey were stuck a little bit in their own half. That They found it difficult to get possession out. And they were trying to pass the ball out and sort of implement the system that Danny Cowley wants them to play, the way he wants them to play. But Millwall pressed us up the pitch as the game went on. And that sort of was compounded when we had 10 men on the pitch as well. And you always thought we were going to struggle to get back into the game. But that's the difference playing a championship side, really. Who, who Millwall are a tough side for a championship team to beat. You know, they they especially at home, they really work out results, especially that, you know, they're known for that. So I thought we were pretty impressive in this game, but I know there's a bit of criticism. Some fans are a little bit worried that strikers don't look like they're scoring, but yeah, I don't think that's fair at all. I don't think they had the service. They didn't really have any way of getting that. It's the second game. and um, It's been two games, exactly. Mm. Yeah, And in the Fleetwood game, the strikers didn't have much service either. So uh, um, I had me had that, one golden chance in the Fleetwood game, which was mainly a good save by the keeper in the end, really. And in that game, it just sounded like the players were trying to play out from the back. They pressed off the ball fairly well from the stats that I looked at, but Millwall counted it a fair bit. And then the the red card happened and that killed the game. One of the annoying things I read in the news in Hampshire Live, if if that red card is appealed and that appeal's turned down, then Callum Johnson is suspended for the league game. So Monogo would have to fill in as cover, but that red card was such a horrendous decision. I don't. I, I think. I think that'll be the appeal will be fine. I find that really frustrating when when referees do what happened in this game. In that it wasn't a fantastic tackle, it wasn't a terrible tackle, but it was the referee didn't take a moment in any aspect of life, whether you're making any sort of decision, whether say Freddie, we're playing poker. We know about timing tells you never act instantly. The referee saw the tackle, brandished the red card. Within He made the decision within a split second. At no point did he walk away to talk to a lino or to sort of replay in his head what he'd just seen. It was a split second decision and there was no thought process into it. There, there are very things in life you should do in the moment you see it or in the moment you consider it without any consideration whatsoever. It was such an instant decision. He didn't give himself time to process what he'd just seen. That's never a good thing. You see it, uh, sorry, Hugh, weekly cricket sort of analogy. You see it in cricket. There was, there was a big bash game the other year when um, there was an LBW appeal and the umpire went to give it out and started putting his finger up to give it out, then realised halfway through doing that that he didn't actually think it was out and then pretended to witch his nose. And it was like this big thing and it was really embarrassing for the big bash. But he made this decision in an instant and then sort of processed it, realised he'd made a mistake and then changed his mind. And the referee didn't give himself an opportunity to process what he'd just seen. He must, like, looking back at it, he thought it was a scissor tackle and sort of took him out with his trailing leg. And I don't know, I, it just frustrates me when officials in any sport don't take time to process their decision and then make a rational, calm, thought-out decision. They just make an instinctive one instead. Um, so I... Based on that and the fact that it wasn't a red card, you would hope it would be overturned. Yeah, and Danny Cowley is going to appeal that or has appealed that in case anyone hasn't actually hasn't heard that at all. But just talking about strikers, going back to that quickly, I thought George Hurst looked pretty good when he came on. He gave us a different option. You know, he held the ball up a bit better. It allowed us to get out up the pitch a bit more. I think sometimes you've got to have that option, haven't you? When, you, when it's str- you're struggling to pass the ball for a quality team like that, it's, it's quite good to have somebody who can come on and can, you know, when you go a little bit more direct, you can hold the ball up then and bring our attacking players like Curtis, like uh, Hackett Fairchild, like Harness, etc. 
to bring them into the game a bit further up the pitch. And it did allow us to do that. And you saw Pompey slightly growing into the game. Enrico Hacker Fairchild had that chance at the end, which he sort of made made for himself. And I thought he was going in. I thought he was going to score. But, you know, it's not an easy one really to tuck away. And he made that himself. So once again, really happy with Rico. Happy with the performance. I thought Curtis ran himself, you know, ragged in that game. Defence. I thought one thing I haven't said, actually, is the first goal. I thought Williams sort of pulled out the challenge a little bit when the ball came over to the box. And I was, I was quite directly behind him and he got caught in two minds, whether to put a foot in and get on the ball or whether to sort of pull out and jockey the player. And I think when he, if he was a bit more match fit, he would have actually put a foot in then and he would have got the ball, but he, he decides to, to back off. And I think that's down to fitness. Yeah. I think it was, it was potentially, yeah, it was a split second decision where in hindsight, you know, t- uh, 2020 hindsight made the wrong decision. I think pulled out implies he made the conscious decision not to go for it. I don't know if I'd use that phrase. And yeah, it was obviously a, a split second moment. I thought it was just a little bit slow to close it down, to be honest with you. You got caught in two minds. Um, but yeah, as I say, twen- uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? So we live and learn. Yeah, all I can say is 2,000 Pompey fans away at Millwall under the lights, doesn't get better than that really for a season to kick off with, with a cup game so happy with the performance who cares we lost 2-1 let's be honest and yeah it was a great time all right let's move on from the game reviews we've talked about and let's look towards the future we asked you on twitter how many points you thought we should get over the next two games the home games against shrewsbury and crew coming up obviously we've got the one win now but before we get into your comments i just want to really defer that quickly to the guys here and Freddie what do you think when we because we're going to preview crew later but the Shrewsbury game coming up on the Tuesday how do you feel about that do you think Pompey can get three points and how many points in total are needed or do you think is acceptable for the next two games Shrewsbury saw is a rough game because because of the way they play and they play it very well um, in the sense of clogging up the midfield dropping deep counter-attacking really well Um Ethan ebanks lendor has got COVID-19. He's probably their best defender. Whether he'll be back on Tuesday, we'll see, but it's likely that he won't be. Um, on paper, when you compare the teams to the other sides, in the long term, you would have to you would say six points, but I would be happy with four, as long as you don't lose a game. Andy, are you in agreement with Freddie there? Is, is four I'm- okay, but six, six is the aim? I'm curious how Freddie thinks we're going to get four points without um, without lo- uh, and we lose one of the games. I'm not sure how that would work. I said um, as long uh, as we don't lose one of the games. Yeah, four points as long as we don't lose one of the games. Yeah, we can't get four points and lose one of the games. Right. <laughs> I think that's um, more of a he, four points is okay, but yeah, yeah, he's happy yeah. as long as you don't lose a game. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think, yeah, the Shrewsbury game, as Fred said, they're probably their best centre back. Uh, Ebanks Landel is out for uh, out, yeah, for sure. It was uh, he's got to do ten days isolation from last night. I think it was when the uh, the cup game was. So yeah, he's definitely out from um, for next Tuesday's game. We do tend to struggle against uh, against Shrewsbury traditionally. We struggled a bit lining up against Steve Cotterell, who is obviously really good to see back. Um, managing in person after his little episode of well not little at all his very big episode uh with COVID-19 the fan feedback from their opening game of the season was quite interesting they lost 1-0 to Burton and I think we're going to need more games to contextualize that really because Burton went on a decent run under Hasselbank last year but um they'll be disappointed to not pick up any points first game of the season uh, they lost Ollie Norburn to Peterborough 
um, who was previously captain of the side, so a big loss to, to the squad. And it's questionable whether they've really filled the gaps that, were, that have been created over the summer. So, again, looking at fan feedback, they they pretty miserable in terms of it was quite hoofbally so far this season um, and they're lacking supposedly a lot of creativity in the central midfield so in terms of players we're going to recognise Elliot Bennett some people might recognise so that's Kyle's brother um, probably we're going to recognise him from other games in, in League One from previous seasons um, they signed Ryan Bowman from Exeter up top who's half decent goal scorer I think he averaged one goal in three for Exeter so it's a bit of a step up to see if he can do it um, to do it for Shrewsbury. But yeah, they don't seem overly positive about the signings they've brought in and the style of football being played. But, you know, football fans, we're all pretty fickle, aren't we? And 90 minutes can change a lot. In terms of points, I think, so I, I hate agreeing with Fred. I said I wouldn't do it this week, so I feel like I've got to do something <laughs> different. Um, I'm Honestly, end of the season, I feel like if we look back at these two games and we haven't got six points from the two of them, at home, newly back in front of a full house against two teams that, in terms of player transfers, the fans are really underwhelmed and potentially have had not the strongest summers and haven't really brought in any good, like big, good name signings. I think we'll be regretful if we haven't picked up six points here. And I, I kind of would expect us to, if I'm being honest. I mean, four, you're obviously not going to get too downcast and, and annoyed about. But I would expect six, honestly, if um, if we are those fourth place contenders that I said that we were last week, I'd expect six points from the two games. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that I think we should get six points. I think these two games are both, you know, very winnable in our favour. And we need to, as you say, we, it is a really tight league and there's a lot of good teams at the top of the table or who will be at the top of the table come the end of end of the season. So... Yeah, I think we need to get six points. Do you know what? Let's do it. Why not? I wasn't going to do this right now before we get into everyone else's comments and see how wrong or right we are, you know, compared to the listeners. But, Freddie, what is your score prediction for the game against Shrewsbury? Oh, for against Shrewsbury? Oh, two score predictions in one thing. Oh, God. Oh, um, yeah. Like you said, it would be very difficult because of how defensive they are. But in those sorts of games, if Pompey score early, then Shrewsbury are bound to they have to play out and play a bit more positively from there. And if they don't have any midfield to get the ball to Ryan Bowman, it shouldn't be an issue. I'm going to be positive and go 2-0 Pompey, I think. Do you want goal scorers as well? Or? Of course I do. Come on. Uh, uh, let's give it to Ronan Curtis, cutting on on his right from the left side. We say that every week, Fred. We I say don't say that week. every week. I <laughs> no, don't I say that. We do. I said it last week. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> he will do that eventually. And uh, Sean Raggett for a corner. I think I said that last week as well. <laughs> Stealing my predictions, Fred. <laughs> People listen back, and, <laughs> listen back and tell us if that's true at PA Forecast. I'm like 99% sure that's exactly what I called last week. And I wasn't, I wasn't right with either of them. So I'm not very, taking any credit. That's very specific. Andy, what is your score prediction for the game against Shrewsbury? Um, again, I was going to go 2-0 because if we score early, I think it'll open the game up and we can hit them on on the counter later on when they're having to uh, sort of open the game and chase it a little bit. Um, but obviously I'm not going to agree with Frederick. So I will go 3-0 Pompey. Um, actually, no, I'm going to change that. 3-1 Pompey. I think there's a there's a mistake in our 
playing out from the back that's going to rear its head at some point. I'll go 3-1 Pompey. Uh, one from... Let's go one from Harness, one from Curtis. And I think Hadmi is going to score in front of the Fratton end in the second half when the game is stretched and he can run at a potentially tied defence. What about you, Hugh? I'm going to go for a 2-0 Pompey win. And I, I, I do think it's going to be one of those games that's sort of... They're one of those teams that are hard to break down. They will sit in, I think, away from home, considering they've got injury concerns as well. They're going to play very deep and it's going to be on us. The onus is going to be on Pompey to try and break them down. However, I think we're going to look at our players who have the ability to score goals. And Freddie talked about Ronan Curtis there. I think it's going to be a goal from Marcus Harness from the other side as they're going to sit a bit more on Ronan Curtis. And I think the other goal is going to come from a substitute appearance. That's a bold prediction from Rico Hackett Fairchild to make his goal tally for the season two. Let's go Pompey. All right, let's move on to the next bit then. Let's find out if everyone thinks that we're on the right track or completely wrong and completely missing the point, we asked you guys, and thank you again for everyone who messages in. We really appreciate it. All the interaction really makes the show. So thanks again. How many points would be acceptable from the first two home games? And you know that because I already asked the question to these two. So who knows why I'm asking that again? We put out a poll and I didn't look at the time spent, so it hasn't finished yet. So go and vote on it. Another 20 hours left on it. So you're probably hoping that I've managed to do the, the podcast recording before then. I gave a couple of options there. Zero points, one to two points, three to four points, or six points. As I realised, even when walking around my office, that you cannot get five points from two games. So, 1% of you think that we're going to get no points and you're either scummers or cynical bastards. So, uh, let's hope that you're not right at all. One to two points. Zero percent of you think that. So two draws is not a possibility, according to Pompey Twitter. Three to four points. 36% of you went for the three to four points. And overwhelming positivity here because 63% of you went for six points. 325 votes in total so far. And I only posted a five. So again, that, that's really cool. Thank you, everyone. But let's go into the comments. So guys, people expecting six points from this. We think that can happen as well. We're expecting Pompey to get six points. Peter Thurgood messages in, and thanks again. He says, given the opposition, six is the only acceptable amount. Crew are a mess right now, and Shrewsbury are nothing less than weak in comparison to last season. I think that's fair enough. I think, you know, we looked at Shrewsbury, the injury issues, Crew, and we're going to come on and talk about that in a minute with Steve from the Railway Men podcast. I, I agree. I think Crew aren't as good a team, so I think, I think you're spot on there. Lewis Pete messages in and he says, I feel like we should be beating Crew and Shrewsbury, at least in our home games against them. As long as we don't lose, I'll be fine, but I'm expecting six. So it looks like, Lewis, sounds like you've got the, the mindset of our very own Freddie Webb on there with don't lose a game and we'll be fine with it. Hopefully getting six. Thanks again. Dan messages in. He says, four points would be decent after winning last Saturday. We need Fortress Fratton back. Get the fans buzzing again. It's a little bit of a point there, Fred, isn't it, really? Because we are pretty bad at home. I'm going to say bad. It's not necessarily right, but we were, compared to the season before, our home form just wasn't there, was it, last season? Can we get that back now the fans are there? 
I think so. It was clear that the fans gave them a lift in the Fleetwood game. That atmosphere was rocking, even though there were a thousand of us in that terrace. It went really well. Sean Raggett mentioned it on the fans forum a while back, saying how much he was looking forward to playing in front of fans again. It gives all the players a lift. And most of the new signings mentioned the atmosphere is one of the reasons why they moved to Fratton Park in the first place. Joe Morell did, who we'll go and talk about in a minute. You could be cynical and say it's easy for, for a new player to say that, but I don't think it is. I think that it, they genuinely want that atmosphere and that bit of healthy pressure to give them all a little bit of a lift. So I think the home form will definitely improve with fans back in the ground. Cal needs Cal's messages in, and he's actually given us a different question here, boys. So get ready. He says, looking at the strength and flexibility of the team now, how do you see centre midfield setting up? Danny has spoken of a player, a six and an eight, in brackets, a box-to-box and a sitting midfielder. Do you see us staying with that or going to a three-man midfield and dropping the second striker in the current setup? I'm going to fire that over to you, Andy. Yeah, I in, in response mostly to the, the second part of that, I really can't see us dropping a second striker. So I actually saw one of the replies to to that tweet from uh, Niall Judge, which you may have been about to read out anyway, is exactly what I would respond in that the, Niall says that, or Neil, Niall, I think, says the best he's seen Marcus play was when Harness played just off him for a handful of games last November. And I, yeah, I agree with that. I think Marcus needs someone alongside him. I know you could potentially say that he did well at Doncaster with Coppinger playing behind him, but we haven't been able to recreate that with any of the players in our squad at any point. So I'd be really surprised if we ended up going one up top at home against two teams we sh- should, in inverted commas, be beating. I'd be surprised if that's what the Cowleys went with, and I'd be quite disappointed if it was. In terms of centre midfield, uh, yeah, again, I... I can't see any wholesale changes at the moment. I'd be surprised if it isn't a fairly standard 4-4-2. I, I don't feel like we need to reinvent the wheel at this point. I think if we try and go too complicated with with formations and have one box-to-box, one sitting formation, and the choreography that the Cowleys talk about starts getting quite complicated quite quickly. And I'm just not convinced that at this point in the season where the squad's game time on the pitch, you know, they haven't played together that much in a, a really competitive environment. I'm not sure why they're at the point where they should be or will be trying out more complicated formation concepts. I think we need to get the basics nailed down first and then potentially get a bit more elaborate if and when we manage to do that. Um, that's not to say I don't like the idea, but I'd be surprised if we see it this early in the season. Um, I think it would be slightly unnecessary at this point. I think they could go for a three-man midfield in a different sort of game. I think since Pompey are going to have the majority of the possession and they're going to press aggressively when the opposition have the ball, I think the two up front helps in both of those cases. I think they'd be more offensive with that. In a three-man midfield, let's say they went for the two more box-to-box type midfielders of Tunnicliffe and Morell on either side of each other with Williams sitting slightly more defensive as the... um, Basically, it's sort of an anchor because he's very good still at winning the ball back, but also the out ball. If Portsmouth win the ball high up the pitch, Williams would be there to switch the play, etc. That could be done. I think it entirely. I think that would entirely depend on the opposition, though. If they were having, if Pompey were losing the midfield, they would play more of a four-three-three, and a front three of Marquis, Curtis, and Harness. It can work in certain scenarios. We haven't seen it that much, but I think we should probably just stick to the 4-4-2 for now, especially in the next two games. 
I think it's sort of time to transition into this, and we can always come back to the comments now. But Pompey signed Joe Morrell from Luton on a three-year deal with an extra option of a year. I feel like it's important to bring this up now, really, because we're sort of talking about this three-man midfield and do we do it or not? And without the context of the sort of player he is, really, it doesn't really make that much sense what we're talking about. So I think Joe Morrell is a player that and people would have seen him play at the Euros for Wales. He is one of those players, really, who likes to get the ball down, who likes to get the ball moving, likes to get it ticking. I know some people have compared him to Ben Close in a stylistic formation. I can see why, but I think he's a little bit different on his movement and the way that he's always sort of providing an option to get the ball back and then shifting it again. Whilst Ben was sort of sat in and, and played the ball around a bit more, I think Joe actually comes to collect the ball and tries to up the tempo a little bit with his passing. And he's going to be the expert on Joe, obviously, because he watches him play for Wales all the time, so I don't really them on this pay that much interest to Wales playing football so Andy do you have any comments on our Pompey's new centre midfield dynamo yeah I think the the main critique that I've seen from uh, Joe Morello in the past is uh, from, from his previous club or fans of his previous clubs that doesn't really get levelled with him at Wales is being lightweight um, I've got a slight concern that the same portion of the fan base who said that about Ben Close could potentially have the same opinion because it's a, a similar style of player in that respect but in my eyes a better player or a more developed player at least I think playing international football develops you you know it's like playing with the first team when you're a younger individual like it just pulls you up to it to a different level um I think I'd expect him to click slightly more quickly than some signings because he's played under the Cowleys before uh, which Personally, is one of the main reasons that he's ended up at Pompey, I think, is that he knows that the coaching team and potentially has seen what's happened with uh, other other players potentially signing at other clubs that were interested in him and how they've been treated by other managers. I don't know if we're going to cover that, but I think that will definitely have played a part in his decision. And again, it's he's one of those players that can switch on a, a moment of quality, which in really sort of attritional two heads butting against each other games, which you do sometimes get for Ann Park, especially when it's quite, you know, the the away team is clearly into the last 20 minutes of the game and will happily take the nil-nil that it currently is. What you need is potentially that incisive moment of quality. And he's a player that can provide that in a similar, sort of a similar concept, the way that Curtis can do it, but in a different, um, a different method. So I think he's potentially a match winner on his day. Um, but yeah, I, I'm tiny, tiny bit concerned that he's going to get criticism for being lightweight or disappearing from time to time. But that is what players of that ilk or players of that sort of style of play, it can sometimes happen, especially in quite, you know, in, in League One style games, just sort of your classic League One attritional fixture. But yeah, he's absolutely a quality sign in. I'd put him up there with sort of potentially one, well, potentially the best signing we've had this summer. Um, and yeah, international football, I think it it breeds quality and he's just come back from a major tournament. I genuinely think he might do bits for us. And he, he offers a very different type of player in midfield to our other options that we have on the books. So yeah, I'm pretty excited. I think the Cowleys, one thing the Cowleys have done well is they've brought in players that offer something different in terms of having a plan B, plan C. So if you look at the sort of the Tunnicliffe-Williams starting combination of centre midfield, 
offers a very different style of game to if you bring on Louis Thompson or if you bring on Joe Morrell. It completely changes the complexion of how we're playing the ball through midfield. And I think that gives us options. And that's potentially something you could argue that we didn't have in previous seasons. And I, the centre of midfield just looks infinitely stronger than it did seven days ago. And that's partially because we have more than two players that, that play there in the squad. But I think in terms of actual quality as well, I think it looks even stronger. I had a quick look into some of Morel's stats, mainly from the Luton season in League One, so 2019-2020, just to slightly gauge what sort of player he is. Some people say he's lightweight, but in League One in that season, he had 8.89 defensive duels per 90, which was more than Tom Naylor did the last season, more than Ben Close did last season. Those are tackles off the ball, by the way. So he probably gets involved in those sorts of challenges, less so in the air, though. That's one thing to keep in mind. But he's a proper en- engine room centre midfielder who gets involved off the ball, does the dirty work, but then looks to tick over and progress the play. He In that season, again, he made 8.39 passes to the final third per 90 on average with a 70% accuracy rate. That's really good. If you can get the ball consistently to the final third, to a Hadmeel Marquis, if it's a two up front or to the wing, then Pompey will create chances from it. And even, even adding to that, Morel in his press conference kept on saying about how he spoke to Danny Cowley more over the last two months than his parents or a similar amount. So it's obvious that he wanted this move and it's obvious that he's properly up for it and on paper at least, scheme fit-wise, even though he didn't play much for Luton last season, he played a lot in League One the season before. So I, I think he'll add a lot on uh, on and off the ball at both ends of the pitch. To be fair, I've spoken more to Danny Cowley in the last six months than to one of my parents, like just because of COVID-19. <laughs> so I don't know if that's <laughs> that big a deal these days. And you've got to say fair play to the club. That, you know, the whole thing about Michael Jacobs, was he going to go to Ipswich and then being sort of told he was, they're not past passing the absolutely appalling, by the way. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, and that whole roller coaster of a day. You got to say credit to credit to the, the owners as well for I don't know what the fee is; it's undisclosed. But obviously, going out and paying the fee, even though we didn't have Jacobs going out to Ipswich, so you know you got to say fair play where credit where credit's due. Yeah, I think it's it's becoming abundantly clear that if you even if you're looking outside of football itself, you're just looking at the people around the club and. Actually, I won't go down that avenue, but just generally people in the club, you'd say that in terms of the quality of person who's leading the side, in terms of whatever ethics, morals, just general being an all-round nice like nice people, I'm much happier with my club in the hands of the Cowleys, who you just feel like a good bloke, rather than Paul Cook, who, fantastic manager, I still think he's going to take Ipswich up. Had his moments upon people, obviously, as, you know left with a bit of a, a sour taste in his mouth about the fan, some of the fan base and the club itself. But I think the way that the last few days have been conducted from the Ipswich side, by the sounds of it, I think that says a lot about the personality difference between Cook and the Cowleys for me. Um, and personally, I, in terms of Cook leaving when he did to go to Wigan, I don't really have a big issue with that. I didn't buy into the whole snake thing and all of that jazz. But I think the last few days potentially have changed my opinion on him slightly more than anything he did when he was actually at Pompey did because you're messing with someone's 
career and people are looking at you know moving house moving their family to a different part of the country potentially or at least getting a hotel for the short term up there yeah you're, you're messing with people's personal lives and that's outside of football and as far as i'm concerned that from, from what we've heard if ever if even a portion of what we've heard is true that's pretty out of line and changes my opinion of him more than just oh he left my football club when he said he wouldn't kind of thing it says more about the person outside the club so yeah I'm I'm very happy with who we've got running the show at Pompey now in terms of their personality types yeah and all I can say is welcome back Michael Jacobs if you're a short spin away from the club but yeah no he's a good player technical we said this before on the last week's episode that we wanted to retain him before all this sort of drama kicked off so very happy to have Michael Jacobs in the squad and he's definitely a player. I know Danny Cowley said has looked fitter than ever across the summer. So he has had injury concerns, obviously, but let's hope that this year, you know, looking fit as he's ever been, he can, he can keep off the medical bench and really be a player who can add something different. When he, when he was playing against, um, add something different. Louis Thompson. I, I saw someone on Twitter saying that he'd been down the Roku holding a scarf up for four days waiting for him to be announced obviously Joe Morell was announced at, at 11 o'clock I don't know if that was one of those ones that happened and it sort of appeased the the madness that was going on Twitter and maybe it would have been a bit of a storm if they hadn't announced Joe Morell announced Louis Thompson and then waited a whole another day to announce Joe Morell but obviously Louis Thompson comes in on a, on a year's contract it's, it's a performance related contract so pay as your play or whatever you want to call it from that again he's got some injury issues but in the past but you know four you know we've got four good centre midfielders then if he can be fit I know Norwich picked him up and he was really highly rated at that point so Danny Cowley said if he didn't have these niggles should we call them he would be a player that maybe we couldn't actually get it, it sounds like um, pretty much as okay how he said he sounds like he's got the talent when he can put it together and when he can get a run regularly and Pompey have, seen, uh, Pompey have seen the value in taking on a player with potential injury issues. Well, Clark Robertson was taken on, had a, has a skill set, but had multiple injuries last season and nobody wanted him. Why, why not? It's a risk-free move for Pompey, taking in Thompson and some other players like that, depending on what the injuries are. And if there's a plan in place, which I'm sure Danny Kelly there definitely is, to get him fit and then get him involved slowly and get minutes behind him. It could be an, a, a, another coup of a transfer on the cheap. And it definitely helps with the depth at centre midfield. We've got four centre midfielders now, and that's the minimum if you want to play 4 4 2. So, yeah, it uh, can't be bad. Exactly. And what I want to know is can he win a free kick as well as his brother? <laughs> can, can he annoy players off the ball as much as his brother? only time will tell only time will tell okay we'll go back to just a couple more comments I wanted to touch on before we move on guys John Lishmash is in and he says at least one win ideally six points but four points would be a decent start wouldn't surprise me if Cotterill organised a smash and grab but after last season's form I'm looking forward to a strong start yeah I think I think people are generally on the same page here aren't they I think everyone wants six points but no one's going to sort of panic and well, you shouldn't throw your toys out the pram if we end up with you know with four points indeed. Mark uh, Walters messaged in. He just said four points, so no explanation needed. He he's pretty set on that. Four points. He's happy. Move on. Obviously, that would be seven points in the first three games, which is worth saying is playoff to promotion form, isn't it? 
yeah, it would be a reasonable start, but um, I think most people would accept four. I would accept four points. But like we said, if we look at some of the other teams, we've got we definitely could have played against harder opposition in the first three games. So yeah, nine max points from these three games would be a lovely start. Yeah. So uh, Callum is in. He says, can't wait to be back at Fratton Park, where we belong. Very much true, Callum. Let's go. Let's get behind the lads. Let's go have some beers. Let's have a Coke if that's more your thing. Let's go celebrate and let's make it a massive day. Back the lads and hopefully come back with three points. All right, let's move on now. Oh, Andy, do you want to say something, please? I was just going to flick a, flick a question at you guys that um, someone put on Twitter, actually. Uh, Pompey in Canberra, I've got to read this out for my Australian, the quarter Australian I am, got to represent, um, wanting to know if the three of us have changed our views on where Pompey are going to finish from last week, um, now that Morel and Thompson have come in. So, I mean, I think I predicted fourth last week, and I'm not going to be quite in, optimistic enough to elevate that because that's already starting fairly high um but i was just yeah i was interested to see if uh, either of you have changed your opinion for the end of the season based on these signings um i actually sort of based my prediction on the level that i had the faith that the cowleys would bring in a couple of center midfielders i sort of prefixed that at the start of my sort of explanation for why i thought we'd come sixth it's, but, it's difficult around that i'm gonna say i'm still sticking with sick but i think a playoff position is is where we are at the moment However, I wouldn't be surprised that we could potentially, we could potentially, I suppose, put a run together. And you know, it's difficult to tell. I don't think I've changed my my position from sixth. I'm going to stick with sixth um, because I think, yeah, I'm going to stick with sixth. Fred, uh, I predicted eighth, and I didn't account for future transfers. I based it on the squad as was. The depth is much better at centre mid, which is great. Um, still got depth up front. I think one more centre half would be nice because three centre-halves I don't think is enough because they're over a 46-game season with cut matches. So I think a full centre-half would be... I think that would, that would be the squad for me at that point, I think, especially if we keep Jacobs, Hackett, Fairchild, even if we keep Harrison. There's a lot of strong opposition up there. I'm going to be... I'm going to say with this current team, they can make the playoffs and finish sixth. I think they can do if they gel together properly and there's luck with the injuries. If there's no luck with the injuries and they Pompey going a long spell where they can't gel together as much and it's more like the first half of the Fleetwood game rather than the second, then it would be top half, I think. Like that, you've come around to the right the right prediction, which is sixth, Freddie. I, I, I appreciate that. You've, you've come on board. So we'll see if me and you are right into the season or if... Andy's lofty fourth position is more... I just hope the eighth place isn't been. right. <laughs> All right, trying to play down the the partnership I thought we were building there, Freddie. Is that, is that out the window now then? <laughs> I, I, I just hope we don't drop off at the end. Nice to feel included, Hugh. Thanks, bud. <laughs> Pick on the Welsh mate. contingent, mate. That's what, that's what it is. Oh, yeah. So it's worth putting that uh, Louis Thompson was also a Wales under-21. Yeah, I was going to wear my Welsh shirt tonight. I completely forgot to put it on. But, um, I didn't think I'd be. Yeah, I didn't think I'd be so disappointed that you weren't wearing a Welsh shirt, but I am. I don't think I've rocked it since we thought Chris Coleman was going to be the new manager. I don't think it's come <laughs> out for the pod since then. So only, only special occasions. That and like actual rugby matches. Yeah, I'm very glad that Chris Coleman didn't come in in the end. But you know, that's a, that's a conversation for another time, maybe offline. I've, I've got to say as well that. Thanks again as well, Pompey and Cabrera, for sending us that picture of you listening to the podcast in beautiful Australia. 
Um, it's really appreciated. Anyone sends in any pictures or just letting us know where you listen to the podcast. Honestly, it, it always puts a smile on all of our faces. And yeah, it's really cool. So anyone else, send those in. Let us know you listen to the podcast at PO Forecast. Um, yeah, we, just, we all just think it's really cool. So keep, keep them coming, people. Keep them coming. All right, let's get into the last part of the show that we're going to do today, which is, of course, the preview against Crew. We spoke to Steve from the Railway Men podcast, who's one of the best people we know, really, to talk about Crew. Top lad. Quality lad. Do you know what? I felt, I felt that when you listen to this thing that Crew are one of these teams that I like, you know, they, they develop players through the academy, they sell them, they play a very good way for the budget they've got. And you've got to admire crew really as a club, I think, and the way that they they manage the club. So I always rooting for them to do pretty well. But let's see where Steve thinks that crew are at the moment. So here's Steve from the Railway Men podcast. All right, I'm here with Steve from the Railway Men podcast. And Steve, thanks for coming on the show. Not a problem, pleasure to be here. No, nice one. Let's kick it off then, Steve. It's been a bit of a interesting summer, I'd say, for crew with players, you know, leaving, etc. But what are the fans' sort of expectations for this season? And what is ultimately a pretty tricky League One, uh, t- uh, pretty tricky League One? I think a couple a couple of weeks ago, the the, the club uh, and Dave Artell himself had, had gone on record as saying the target was the playoffs. Um, and a lot of fans kind of bought into that and thought, yeah, after last year, we should be looking at the playoffs. But after recent events and, and potential departures, I think, if I'm being honest, I think everyone's thinking, look, if we're safe in mid-table come the end of the season, that's a bit of a result because this is probably a tougher league than last year. Um, and although we thought we were stronger, who knows? There could be even departures this week. So who knows where we'll be by the time we play on Saturday. In the last game, I noticed that Charlie Kirk and Tom Lowry were both not even in the squad. Were there any more key players missing in that game? And do you expect that you would keep many of your key players with the weeks remaining? And do you think you can replace them? Charlie Kirk has pretty much gone. We're not we're not sure where. Um, the, the big whisper is Charlton have, have paid, have offered the release clause in his contract. Apparently the route, the the move has been held up because unfortunately um, Charlie's dad's passed away um, is is what seems to have happened. So he's pretty much gone. Tom Lowry is not getting in the team because he's not signing the contract. So manager's refusing to play him until he signs the contract. Um, Owen Dale, there's whispers today that a championship club want to pay half a million for him. So if they go we're going to struggle to replace them. You know, that we won't be spending much money and we'll be looking to promote from within. And we've already kind of done that, to be honest. So hence we're from a few weeks ago thinking "Mm, playoff spot. Now we're looking a bit more at the season with a bit more trepidation because there seems to be an exodus of players about to be sold. Steve, the quality of player that you you've brought in then over the summer to try and fill some of those gaps that have already been created. Um, I spoke to Stuart a few days ago from the Railway Men pod, and he was—he spoke to me when we weren't recording about um, a player who came in, signed a contract, and then decided they wanted to be a financial advisor instead, or something along those lines. Can you can you give us the story on that one? Because that sounds very Sunday League rather than League One. It's the st- 
we've been waiting since Friday when the news, I say news, the, the rumours started to swirl and the club has said, haven't said anything official. Um, and Dave Artel has been very tight-lipped and hasn't given anything away. But the story is Tommy Hoban, who we signed from Aberdeen, 28, played a lot of games for Aberdeen last year. So for us, it's probably a decent Decent calibre of signing, to be fair. Centre-half, and we're a bit short of centre-halves because we let a few go in the, in the summer. Um, signed a one-year contract, played pre-season, did all the pre-season, and has apparently decided to retire and to become a financial advisor. Now, he's had some he's had some injuries in his career, um, and I think we have to probably give him a fair chance to put his say across. But as you said at the moment... It doesn't look that great, and there may well be more factors to it, but it's a bizarre one that we've signed him, signed up for a year, has played a few pre-seasons, and has decided to retire. So that has thrown a massive spanner in the works of our central defensive partnership. And the young lad, we've got a young lad, Billy Sass-Davis, who's one of our academy lads who had a good spell on loan at Yeovil last year. And we gave him a run last night at Hartlepool in the Cup, and he got sent off after 12 minutes. So that leaves us further short of options at centre-half. So who have you brought in over the summer then to cover these these holes that seem like they've appeared in the squad in the off-season? We've brought in on loan um, a young man who I'm sure got a good reception at the weekend, Kane Ramsey from Southampton, who's a right-back, who has looked quite, quite good in pre-season apparently, and I was quite impressed with him at the weekend as well. Um, we've brought in Tommy Holborn, or have we not maybe, Um and we signed Chris Long, who's a forward from Motherwell, who is a bit short of match fitness because um, I think he was having to isolate because of COVID. So we gave him a start last night to get some minutes under his belt. Of course, when Sass Davis gets sent off, he gets the hook in the reorganisation. So he gets 12 minutes under his belt rather than the 90 we wanted. And then we've signed um, Callum McFazdeen from Sunderland, who has come with the honour of being named as one of Sunderland's worst ever players. But I think the majority of crew fans are quite guarded on that because I think Sunderland fans are, are quite renowned for giving their players a bit of a kick in if they don't quite fit in. So the jury's out on him, um, but he's come with really, really negative reviews. But when he played for Plymouth, he was always brilliant against us. Um, so we're, we're hopeful that we'll see the McFazdeen we used to see against us for Plymouth as opposed to Sunderland. Okay. Where where would you say then on Saturday that crew are most likely to be dangerous on the pitch and where are you most likely to be vulnerable? Um, vulnerable is probably our centre-halves. Um, we're down to two really now with Donovan Daniels and Luke Offord. Daniels has, has got a mistake in him. He presented Cheltenham with a, a stunning cross at the weekend which gave them their goal the suicidal it wasn't even a back pass I don't know what it was but he put it on a plate for Andy Williams to score so that's probably our weakness at the moment strength um, probably midfield even though we've lost players technically we've still got a really strong midfield with Luke Murphy Callum Ainley um, Ollie Finney Sean McDonald the choice of midfield is still pretty strong it would be better if we could pick Tom Lowry, but if he doesn't sign the contract, he's not going to play. Are they going to hold out with that, do you think? Me and Freddie have 
I spoke about in the summer, you know, midfielders that Pompey should target. And Tom was one of those players that we thought would be a really good guy to come in, sort of play that eight role, get the ball ticking uh, in the centre, which Pompey sort of missed before we brought in Joe Morrell over the over the last week. Is there not a chance the manager sort of has a word with him, they have a little chat and that that sort of changes and he starts on Saturday? If it does change, I don't think anything will change before Saturday because it's been going on for a long while. Um, there's some stories that the agent's been in his ear has given him some bad advice. Apparently, it's about a release clause in the contract. Um, it's rather a bit disappointing because he's he's a pivotal player for us in there. And I think like you just said, he would get the ball and get us taking over. And he's got the ability to beat a man and create something from nothing. But... Um, I can't see it changing before the weekend, to be honest. You haven't got Ryan Winter as well. He went over the, and he's a bit more defensive, isn't he? But he sort of went over the summer as well. So that's two of your key centre midfielders, I suppose, from last season. Is he going to be a bit of a miss as well? Or is it, you know, not too bothered about him leaving? He is, but we knew he was going. And we've got Luke Murphy, who could play, who's not as mobile. Um, he could play that role. We signed Sean McDonald from Rotherham who again is not as mobile as Rintel, but he could play that role as well. So we're, we're equipped for people to fill that role, but I, I don't think any of them would do it quite as well as Winter would do. But, but we knew he was going. He was going all last season. And arguably, I think in the middle bit of the season, his form faded um, and there were calls for him not to be in the team. But he, he came back strong towards the end of the season and showed us what a player he will be missing, really. How do you think Creel set up for, um, for going to Fratton Park? And I noticed in the last game that Jaskalainen was on the bench, even though last season he started a fair bit and I looked at the stats for goalkeepers and Jaskalainen was up where with some of the top goalkeepers in the league. So it was strange to see him on the bench rather than starting. He was, I think he was benched on Saturday. Um, he'd been self-isolating for a period. So I think the thinking was he wasn't 100% Matt Sharp. He played last night, I would imagine that he'll be in at the weekend. Um, in terms of setup, when we played you at home last year, I seem to remember we went 4-4-2 um, because we'd had that spanking the Saturday before against Oxford and we lost 6-0 at home. And I think Dave, Big Dave, just wanted to get back to basics and keep it tight and keep a clean sheet. We haven't got that baggage this time. And so I think we'll probably stick with our normal 4-3-3, to be honest. Um but possibly with Murphy and McDonald both playing, who maybe give us a bit more of a shield rather than having Finney and Ainley playing, who are a bit more attacking in that midfield three. And can Crew play the sort of the crew way, that sort of, you know, nice to watch sort of football? Are you going to stick to that, even though your personnel is sort of different? I know you lost Perry NG as well. Um, so is there, can you play the same sort of football you did last season with the players you've got? Yes, I think he's going to stick with it. Um, technically, um, we lost Finney last year with a broken leg. He's a really real goal threat from midfield. We're expecting big season for mainly, who's been there or thereabouts for, for a long while now. And I'm of the opinion that arguably he's the most talented of the lot and he's got more ability than any of them. And if we can get him playing regularly in that midfield three, He's a real asset going forward and he just drifts past people and makes things happen. So, yeah, the football will still be there. We've got two new fullbacks. We've got the lad from Southampton who looks good. We've got Rio, who played last year at BC, who's a good replacement for Harry Pickering. So, yeah, the football will still be there. 
might not be quite as fluid as the past season and a half, but we're still going to stick with it. All right, awesome. Let's get to the the business part, I suppose, and say, Steve, what is your prediction for the game against Portsmouth on Saturday? I'm a big, I'm a big believer. I always find that results come in batches and you have like a little spell when you keep getting the same result. And we showed a lot of, okay, it was Hartlepool, no disrespect to them. Um, league below, just come off from the conference, but we were one, we were a man short for the best part of 80 minutes, really ground out a result, nicked a goal. I, I can see I was going to Portsmouth, big crowd, um, obviously crowd in there for the first time in a long while, decent atmosphere, might lift them. I reckon they might squeak a 1-1 draw and mirror Saturday's result against Cheltenham. Nice one. Well, we'll have to wait and see whether that happens, Steve. But Steve, thanks again for coming on the show. Can you tell people where they can find you? Um, Railway Man Podcast, um, all the usual places, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all the usual places you can get it from. Awesome. And I know you can also find it on FanHub. So, Steve... Thanks for coming on the show. Much appreciated, mate. And good luck for every game apart from the two against Pompey this season. Nice one. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers, Steve. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Steve, coming on the show. It was really interesting to hear how the new signings are coming in and got that scummer who's coming at fullback to try and cover Harry Pickering, who obviously was absolute class for them. So I'm not too convinced that the players they've brought in are going to replace the sort of players that have gone out and especially with this contract situation with PO forecast fan favourite Tom Lowry I sort of feel Freddie that we should be able to overwhelm crew and get a win on Saturday I think they've lost too much talent I mean Charlie Kirk was one of the better players in League One last season analytics wise and on the pitch they're missing their most creative linchpin Tom Lowry they lost Perry Ong last season They've lost so many key parts of that team that even if the players they brought in have, have potentially have the time to replace them, they're not there yet because they haven't gelled together. Um, he met, as Steve mentioned some of the players who could cause a problem. Mikhail Mandron, who he didn't mention that much, does know where the goal is in certain times. And kind of mainly is their main linchpin in the midfield. But I think it's Pompey's game because they're more, simply because they're more settled, I think. Andy, are you sharing Freddie's optimism for this game against Crew? Yeah, I think if you look at the outgoings versus incomings, it's difficult to make an argument that they've had a good summer transfer window. Uh, the quality that's gone out hasn't been matched by the quality coming in. There's a lot going on behind closed uh, behind closed doors there, or supposedly closed doors. It sounds like a lot of it's been leaked in terms of um, issues with contracts and employment law and all of this jazz that you really wouldn't want to be happening two weeks into a, a football season. So based on both of those factors, I'd be extremely disappointed if we didn't pick up three points. Um, I think there's there's potentially a mistake in our defensive line at the moment because we're playing you know, playing out from a fairly deep base. And I think there are going to be mistakes and we just have to be okay with that over the course of the season. I think it's going to cause more goals than it's going to cost us. So I think we have to accept that. Um, so I would go with a 3-1 Pompey win. Nice. And who are your goal scorers, Andy? Come on. Oh, crap. I hadn't thought about that. Um, I will go with um, Harness to score two and... Tunnicliffe to score one just to 
go away from the usual ones that we list other than harness, I guess. But how about you, Bunce? Well, first of all, you hadn't thought about that. I, I've spent all of yesterday, you know, with a pencil in my hand, sort of sketching sort of potential things that could happen during the game to formulate this really educated guess that I'm going to put forward. I'm going to go with a 2 nail Pompey a 2 nail Pompey win after much thought and analysis obviously I didn't just think of that right now or talking to Steve after we spoke to him on the podcast you've been drawing um what diagrams and stuff so that life drawing class you signed up to has it's got its benefits has it yeah I was rubbish at sketching people and stuff so I've just gone back to drawing arrows and sort of Pompey formations and playing with my team sheet on fan hub and just trying to sort of work work out how Pompey are gonna dominate no I think it's going to be one of those games that if we score early and carry on playing it could even be more than two but if crew do get a goal then we'll just have to keep being patient keep playing the way Danny Cowley wants us to play but ultimately I think this team is now drilled enough and playing a way that crew will find it a bit more difficult to play out from the back which they will do because Pompey will hopefully press a bit higher up the pitch at home against someone like crew so I'm going to go with a Lee Brown goal because I'm going to put my £3 on him this week. And the second goal is going to come from Marcus Harness again. Let's get people firing. I think Ronan Curtis is going to be really good in this game. He looks up for it. I think he'll get a little bit more of the ball further up the pitch, unlike the game against Millwall. So, yeah, I'm expecting a Pompey 2 now win. Freddie, where do you stand on this, mate? Uh, I, I look at I look at tactics a lot in terms of where, uh, how well Pompey will do. Really, I think yes. <laughs> look at stats as well. Do Barely you know? comes yeah, across threads. Yeah, yes, I know, I know. Um, I like the way Crew play a lot, so I think they will get a goal. But again, I just think their defence is too lopsided um, for Pompey not to be able to capitalise it. So I'm going to go over two one. I think Mikko Mandron will score for Crew first, and then from there. Ryan Tunnicliffe will score because I think he'll go for Williams and Tunnicliffe or Tunnicliffe and Morell. Morell will sit back allowing Tunnicliffe to go forward and score his first goal. And then I think I'll go with Rico Hackett-Fetchard off the bench because uh, he's going to follow on from uh, his goal on Tuesday. So I, wanted, I wanted to say something, mate, about you and you, you're drawing diagrams and using FanHub. Just is it being a bit different to your normal like life drawing and Pornhub? It's like a slight change of scene <laughs> for you compared to the usual Friday evening. It's good. Get an adult, yeah. mate. You're turning into an adult. Actually, no, that's not right, is it? Both of those other things are pretty adult. <laughs> what well, are you on about, mate? I mean, I haven't looked at that playlist of Pornhub stuff you sent me online, but at some point, I'm sure I'll check it out. But th- <laughs> thanks, for the, thanks for the recommendations. I'm going to have to put an explicit next to this now, aren't I, for the podcast, for these younger we'll get- listeners who are now Googling Pornhub and trying mean, to work out what if, we're on about. If this was a YouTube video, we would now be demonetized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, I don't know, say get out more, probably don't Google it. Um, Freddie, thanks for coming on the show. Always a pleasure, Hugh. Thank you for having me on again. Awesome. And Andy, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm only here to just keep it like highbrow and good taste. So yeah, you're very welcome, bud. As always, mate. That, that's what we are, a classy lot here. But, oh, before we go, if you've listened this far into the podcast, hopefully you liked it. Get on Apple, give us a five-star review. Write something nice if you can be bothered, but it only takes a few seconds, but it does help other people find the show as well, other Pompey fans. So, yeah, if you've got time, do that. It'd be much appreciated. But until next time, play out Pompey. 
You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.